So I reached out to a few friends and put together a team to, for the challenge, which was about coming up with ideas on how we can do democracy better, giving the technology that we have and specifically large language models. Um, and uh, not to say that tech is a solution to every problem, but tech does does present opportunities. And I don't think we are as humanity all that great at seizing them. It takes us some time to figure out what to do with the fire now. You are listening to the Humanity in the Loop podcast. Welcome to the Humanity in the Loop podcast. I'm your host, Tim Hampton. My guest today is Elena Yunusov. Elena is a deep tech marketing and strategy leader with a focus on artificial intelligence. Elena has been in AI before ChatGPT, leading marketing at Borealis AI, an AI research institute founded by RBC. Elena was nominated for the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards for her work with her agency Communicable Inc., which was named among top women in and was named among top women in Canadian tech by BetaKit. Today, we are going to discuss AI, why it is both exciting and a little scary and what we can do to improve AI alignment and safety. Elena, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim. So we were talking a little bit about, uh, before we uh, started uh, recording, and uh, about your LinkedIn profile, and it really tells a story. There's 18 experiences listed, many of them running simultaneously. You're a community builder, a creator, an organizer, basically never a dull moment. Have you always had an entrepreneurial streak or is that something you've cultivated? I think that's that's a really good question. I think it's something I grew up with. I grew up doing a million things all at once. I went to school. I had a music school on the side. I had uh, aerobics classes, books to read, usually five or seven at a time because one is not enough and <laughs> it's... It seems to be just what makes me stable in life. It's, it's, I think of myself and my career as, as a kind of a chair where I just can't be stable with just one leg or two. And, and they all build on each other. To me, they're connected because that is a question that I've been asked before. And, and, you know, why, why do this for yourself and why not just do one thing? It's also a matter of, the career that I've chosen as a marketer, I really don't believe in that. I think as a professional, you owe it to the field to be a very strong generalist before you acquire any kind of depth. And not to say that depth is bad, depth is terrific. It's great. But without seeing the connections, I just don't know how you can do this job and, and be good at it at, for any sustainable length of time. So let's pick up on on the breadth and the depth. A lot of your attention has been devoted to deep tech marketing. So first of all, what is deep tech? And secondly, what are some of the challenges of marketing it? Sure. So deep tech to me, the those are technologies like AI, like blockchain, things uh, that are coming at people that are confusing and aren't easily understood. I do like to be in the technical weeds. I am someone who loves talking to engineers and researchers and reading scientific papers, blogs all day long. It's the best, the best thing for me. And uh, really trying to understand these things from a normal person standpoint and bridging it out to the rest of humanity who just don't have the time to be like, oh, what's the best paper award at Neurips? <laughs> and What's what's one of the main trends in, in computer vision? In, and to be honest, part of it is from being a journalist. I'm, I have a, a hungry, curious brain that just needs to be fed information. And I tend to then process it and, and do an output that is fairly accessible. Uh, and uh, I, I do love the, doing that for people. And... Um, that to me is really the biggest challenge as well in tech. There's just not enough of that connecting back into, into the normal regular world. 
there hasn't been a need really in the field to just develop those skills yet. It might happen with AI especially, but not it until now. You could be coding from the basement and changing the world. And so if I understand you correctly, you're saying that that the the technologies that have been produced or many of the technologies that have been produced to date have had an obvious need, but then some of these new technologies, you're almost encouraging people to adopt the technology and what they do instead? Connect the dots for them a little better. Mm -hmm. uh, help them understand how it might impact their work. If they want to adopt it, great. If not, I'm curious to hear why and what the challenges are. I won't be pushing technology on anybody I've never have. But I do think exposing people to new things are, is fun. And so I've done that with events like Maker Festival that I've organized with a terrific group of people where it was all about that and bringing kids into that and making things and exposing them, not in the sense of one too many and here's how X will change your life and your world and, and talking down. It was, let's play with it. Let's make something. And you will learn and understand things and have a very different perspective when it is informed by doing and tinkering, which I really do believe in. So uh, my son and I are beneficiaries of your efforts. Uh, we, we attended Maker Festival twice. Uh, at one of them, my son made a small Christmas tree ornament, which was a printed circuit board that he soldered LED lights on. So, you know, that's a cherished memory that that was a, an, a, an incredible event. Uh, how, what was the genesis of that? How did you get involved in that? How did you bring it into being? Sure. So a small group of us, uh, we've organized events before we came together to organize Hotio, which was a tech fundraiser years back. And it came together fairly organically on Twitter. We've organized it. With using Twitter and email, I remember, I don't know, 1,000 emails <laughs> in like something like 30 days and uh, organized completely online. So I haven't met some of the people I did that with until the actual night of Hohotio. Uh, we did that festival for a bunch of years and then thought what else we could do that would be fun. And then... Uh, there was a maker festival here uh, that was fairly small and uh, the group that was organizing it just uh, for various reasons didn't see it continue. And so uh, some of us decided to take it over and I was brought in to that adventure given that I knew the people. I said yes before I knew what it was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then I traveled to Detroit Maker Fair, which is one of the biggest in the U.S., which was interesting because in Detroit, uh, it was remarkably not diverse at all. There was remarkably few kids there, but the kids that were there had just a blast. They were just out of their minds. And so I came back with a fairly clear vision that whatever we do, it's got to be a family thing. Um, and thankfully, we were all on the same page. Um, on the organizing committee. And so it, it grew that way. It grew not from here's another nursy thing. It grew from it being, it's a family thing. It's a thing. Uh, it's an event for students, for kids, for grandparents, for people uh, walking on the street and having a library support us at Toronto Reference Library on Young and Bloor, which is their biggest gorgeous venue. And mm -hmm. gave us all that space it, and let us close the streets around it when it grew so big that it was bursting out of the library at that point. It was just an amazing ride. And I love that we did that. Yeah. Congratulations. And again, thank you very much. That is a, a cherished memory for me and my son. Uh, when did your interest in artificial intelligence start? I would probably say I've always been interested in AI, given the sci-fi books that I've read, you just couldn't escape it. And uh, it just wasn't a field that uh, someone like me was really needed for quite some time. Um, and it slowly started 
getting there. I remember attending AI and design meetups organized by my friends at Normative, which was fantastic. So did that, uh, read some more. It's, it's, it stayed on the periphery for quite some time. And then when the opportunity came up to lead the marketing function at Borealis AI, I jumped on it and I just dove right in. It's, it's, uh, I couldn't read enough. I still can't stop. Like there's just so, so much and things change very quickly too. And I like understanding why, and I like having a thesis on where things are going. Uh, it's not enough for me to read news articles and, and, and worry about existential risk at night. I just don't operate that way. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what do you mean by X, Y, Z? And can we dig into it and, and uh, do some kind of inquiry in, into it best I can and then uh, report back? Science fiction is a, a remarkable thing because it, it's both a prediction and also a roadmap and 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 sometimes it's just completely wrong and sometimes it's more right than I thought. Like for example, C3PO. You know, yeah, as a kid, I looked at that and I said, that's ridiculous. First of all, you would never have individual instances of AI. You'd have it on the cloud. Like even as a kid, I was thinking that way. And why would you have a robot sitting in a seat controlling a car, for example? Why wouldn't the and and here we are today, and my mind is just switching back. Like I, I, I you one can have AI running on a Raspberry Pi if you try hard enough. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of having something like C3PO, a humanoid robot, we don't have to redesign the world for the robots. It's designed for us and the robots have to conform to us. Like it, it's amazing how sometimes technology catches up to, to science fiction. Yeah. And speaking of my career, I've been asked what it is that I am. And I do describe myself as a human cyber relations specialist. <laughs> Excellent. Are you familiar with the binary language of moisture evaporators? <laughs> yeah, so it I, I do relate. Um, so you wrote on uh, LinkedIn, and I'm quoting here, businesses will need more heart and more Im imagination to move to the next level of abstraction offered by, by AI, even further away from hardware and ones and zeros. Machines are moving closer to humans finally. That is the future I'd like to live in, end quote. So tell me more about this future you see and the role that AI will play. One of the reasons I'm excited about AI uh, is, is exactly because it is the next level of abstraction that we're looking at here. If you think of about the history of computing and the way things have started, things have been very close to hardware, um, people assembled their own computers. You couldn't write a program if you didn't know hardware and how things worked. You had to debug it and, and fix it. And there is a fantastic uh, show called Halt and Catch Fire that describes that, that time really well and captures the energy there. Um, and so it, it was something that kept changing and adapting. And in that show, they do go through that with Apple and how Apple has been introduced and even the attitudes around computer language and programming and design, how things evolve into it being um, something that is farther away from the nuts and bolts and closer to how people would communicate. People started coding because they felt it's a way to talk to the machines. And the machines compiling and saying hello world really felt groundbreaking. It felt like meeting a friend who would talk back, <laughs> understand what you're saying. It's just you had to be a programmer to have that conversation. And even then, even that early, Apple had a machine that would literally say something to you, uh, which just blew people's minds. Apple of all companies have has been pushing for it since day one, they have been moving farther and farther away from the nuts and bolts, from the algorithms. It's 
there has been an article that I read about how AI is the blurry picture of the web. It's it, The article itself aside, I do like the metaphor because we have been looking at, you know, 11001, something more like the QR code. This kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then slowly, slowly, it's being, uh, the image is being made sharper. And okay, I can see the trees now. Okay, I can see the sun now. And I no longer see the zeros and ones that that image is made out of. And I don't need to fill the gaps so much because, you know, the fuzzy image of an apple was quite acceptable early on. <laughs> you, you, you would cut computers some slack and you would understand that this is an apple, even though it was pixelated to the nth degree. Which is not accept that now. So things have been getting sharper and more real life and uh, farther away from the ones and zeros. And uh, with phones, with now Vision Pro that Apple has introduced with the watch, what is computer anymore? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, are we finally in the matrix? I, I, I don't have an answer. But I do know that we want uh, machines to be more like us. It just tends to seem to be how we want the world to uh, run. And uh, we don't really, really want to code, really. I mean, some of us do, some of us always will, but we just want Earl Grey tea hot. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. I mean, it sort of reminds me, some people, you're right, do want to get under the hood. You know, the the that you think when you press the gas, you're just telling the the engine to go f to, to produce more power. Then you see the mechanic under the hood actually manipulating the throttle, you know, and you realize, oh, there's something to it, but it's abstracted. I just do it from inside the car. It, it does my bidding based on what I do with my foot. Um, and this reminds me of something you said, and I think we're kind of on the same wavelength about this, that you hate uh, Photoshop and you ho hope it dies. Um, I, I, I'm with you because the interface is just so hard. And here we are in a, in an age where I can say to, and I won't say it out loud, miss a, my, my Amazon assistant, uh, could you please set an, an alarm for one hour from now? I don't have to dig in through menus or read a manual. I can just shout at it. And I, I, I wonder if you, uh, see a future where these interfaces eventually get replaced by something that's more abstract that or removes the abstraction i should say or is that correct i guess no it abstracts the complication and makes it more accessible yeah 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 we want to abstract complexity away we don't really most of us i like you said some people will always be fascinated by what's under the hood that's where they live and they love that most of us just don't have the time to be like why is my clock showing 10 let you open it up and yeah. Uh, oh, it's daylight savings again. <laughs> yeah. And so, yes, most of us want complexity to be abstracted away. Um, and we want it in our technology. We want it in our businesses. We want to, and we've been good at it as humanity. We've abstracted ourselves away from a lot of complexity over the years. And technology is no different, really. Um, yeah. So we will see more, hopefully more human first interfaces for a lot of things. I think we will see uh, tech first and bot first interfaces as well, because we're just doing different jobs now. And so it's, well, we're looking at interesting future, uh, really. Uh, will machines tell us what to do? Some of us will do what machines tell us to do. And should we rearrange our supermarkets now for shoppers who shop on my behalf because I told my program that I want grapes? Should stores rearrange how they put their produce out based on who actually shops and how fast they need to do it? There, it's, there's so many interesting second, third order consequences to um, how things change because of what's possible technologically some of this but some of it not so great yeah well covid opened my eye my eyes to the possibility of having groceries put in my trunk based on what i asked for on an app and i just love it I, i'm surprised when i when i go to do that I'm, I'm often like one of three cars waiting for that 
and everybody else is going inside. They have to find a quarter for the cart. They, you know, they have to have their own bags. Like I just put, uh, I, it's so convenient. I, I love it. That, that though is something of a cultural thing maybe because I had a chat with friends yesterday about European food markets. If you've ever been to Barcelona, those are gorgeous halls to food and pleasure and restaurants are inside and you, your kids are playing and you go and pick your groceries, but you also get together with people very life. And I wonder why we just don't have to, we, we have nothing like it here. No. Not well, the- it, it, you, you are right that it definitely loses the social interaction. Although often the person putting the groceries in the trunk is quite friendly, but um, you know, if you're elderly, for example, shopping might be one of your rare contacts with people, you know? Um, yeah. You're right. It is so yeah, always been interesting to me how maybe we just don't want that much social interaction here in this society for whatever reason. Maybe we just want an app and then the coffee appears. Yes. Yes. That would be great. Cheers. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your role in OpenAI's project called Democratic Inputs to AI. That sounds fascinating. Uh, yeah, that came out in uh, June, just as I was, I had some time on my hands and thought, what could I be doing that's meaningful? Uh, it's right up there. It's uh, about things I care about. Uh, AI will have an impact on democracy. It will have an impact on how people relate to each other, how we learn about what's what political issues we should be even looking at and how we get engaged and discuss and get to some kind of common ground which if you've been online for the past few years what common ground exactly so it's it's been not the best of times for democracy and civilized discourse uh which goes against pretty much every business model it seems. Uh, and so when I saw that challenge, I thought, well, why not me? Why not do it? Even if we don't um, get the grant, we will at least contribute to the stack of thoughts and ideas a company like OpenAI will do something with because they are smart. They're doing it uh, to crowdsource ideas uh, is my my perspective on it to then uh, take it back and maybe build something and launch something, or perhaps they'll take it to governments as part of their deck. Um, Who knows where those ideas will end up? I do think that's not a company where ideas go to waste though. And so it's been exciting uh, as an opportunity to have a say at the ground level of AI governance. Uh, Like I said, if we win the grant, fantastic. Then we can build the prototype and test it and evaluate it. But even being in the pile of ideas felt like a worthwhile endeavor to me. Uh, And so I reached out to a few friends and put together a team um, for the challenge, which was about coming up with ideas on how we can do democracy better, giving the technology that we have and specifically large language models um, and uh, not to say that tech is a solution to every problem, but tech does does present opportunities. And I don't think we are as humanity all that great at seizing them. It takes us some time to figure out what to do with the fire now. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've got the wheel. Yay. Now what to do with that or, or electricity. It, it always takes us quite a while. And so democracy, given how important that is, can we maybe accelerate some of that uh, software eating the world situation to scale it better? Uh, and uh, so we had a professor of AI and ethics and technology on the team. We had a designer, we had an engineer, amazing people. And we've had a couple of conversations and I've produced a draft and captured people's thoughts and then after a few revisions, sent it to a larger peer review group that we put together, uh, made up of smart people who poked holes at our paper, our thesis, which again, we were really grateful for. And then, yeah, we put together a submission and hit send. 
That's to... amazing. When will you hear? Oh, today, actually, by end of oh. day. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making time for this conversation. If I was you, I'd be like in a corner going, please, please, please. <laughs> so, yeah, part of me very is. exciting. <laughs> part of me is in the corner going, please, please. But again, like I said, I'm fine with either outcome. It's been a fun, fun, fun project. Yeah. Well done. Um, so let's talk a little bit of more broadly about the risks that AI pose to humanity. Do you uh, do you have any particular concerns or do you think that people are being overblown about it? Well, it what we're seeing is people's reaction to rapid change. We don't really like change, not really. Uh, for good reasons, because change is scary, it may not be necessary, we better understand what it is, a stick or an animal trying to eat us even historically takes us uh, time and we err on the side of caution for survival. And so we're seeing that conversation around AI. Um, on one side, the sky is falling. We've lost control of the robots. They're out to get us. This has been a sci-fi story for a very long time. And so that, that seems to be some kind of primal fear of, oh, they will be stronger, more capable than us, and they will take over. And we're just the blip in the evolution right. on, on Earth. Uh, and on the other side, you have people who are saying, no, that's just a new set of technologies like the wheel, uh, like electricity and databases are not out to get us. They're not evil. Mm -hmm. They'll not die by Excel. And uh, they're not conscious. They do not really think uh, they're very good pattern recognition prediction machines, right. pattern recognition intelligence. Is that all it is? <laughs> Our intelligence is, is just good pattern recognition, a question mark. Yeah. Uh, and so I do understand both sides of this. On both sides of this argument, there is an incredibly accomplished, credible people. And uh, I would love for more conversation between these two that isn't shouting at each other uh, and more respect for these perspectives and and more exchange of the ideas because I just don't think either side uh, is has it 100% right at this point. Yeah, I actually feel like the discussions about the risk of AI haven't become shouty yet and I think it's because you can't yet map a viewpoint to Republican or Democrat. Like, okay. there, are, there are people on both sides of the aisle who think it's good, both sides of the aisle who think it's bad, and so it hasn't got shouty yet. But when they finally find a way to shove it from one side or the other, that's when you're going to start seeing it uh, become like that, very polarized. I really hope it, that whole thing won't get politicized. I really do. It's shouty in my little corner. It's certainly feels more shouty than I've ever seen. Really? Shouty how? Like just saying, you idiot, it's going to kill us all. Stop doing it. Yeah, pretty much, but more politely. As there's most people with PhDs, it's yes. it's, it's, it's that, but... Express. I question your conclusions, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How much faith do you have in the idea of explainable AI that we can always sort of audit what AI does? Good question. I think we want to understand. I don't think we will always get it. And I don't think it really matters in completely every context under the sun. If I could explain everything that I use, we talked about the under the trunk and, and the under the hood metaphor and complexity being abstracted away. We say we want it, but do we really? That's my question. I, as long as we get the utility from it, as long as we get what we want, do I really need to know how the planes are up in the air? It might make me nervous, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if I start rolling there and, and, and finding like the little wires that maybe don't connect. Uh, so... I think in some applications of critical importance, 
we would need explainability. Uh, in many other cases, we would need a balance of, we would need solidly built technology. We would need it to be robust, so not fail on us. We want some confidence that if I'm driving through the bridge, the bridge won't collapse underneath me. Software and so software overall will need to be uh, more standardized, maybe for safety, because it is just adopted at levels that are critically important infrastructure now. And so, in those cases, I understand where there is human impact, uh, where it's it's anything to do with policing or government or or finance, health, those are fundamentally human systems with large consequences should things go wrong. And so those make people nervous. And just as you would ask a doctor to explain to you why they think this is your diagnosis, we should be getting similar explanations from machines. I think we stand a better chance, to be honest, because with people, we know people are people. And so we are more biased than if, than we think. Uh, it's been fascinating to see with large language models, two things have emerged. Seems that uh, they have a better bedside manner, so to speak. Uh, so the answers show more empathy. They are also, which is slightly uh, dangerous slight side dangerous and interesting at the same time they're more trustworthy and so i'm more convinced apparently as a human by what ai has to say so and i so i tend to trust it more and question it less and i'm also uh not annoyed by it as much so there is some kind of empathy gap that ais are closing better than humans typically do. Uh, on bias, we know it's more or less a solved problem on a technical level. Right. So uh, implementing it into systems and agreeing on guidelines and, and business directives around things like bias uh, is a challenge, but I'd love AI to be in charge of decisions where bias is is a problem if you build it right it will be better than than human decision making in many 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 cases like this so a couple of threads to pull on there one is uh, i th i think one of the reasons i find talking to a machine easier than talking to people is because they're endlessly patient right you can you can ask follow up after follow up after follow up after follow up and it doesn't it doesn't care it's Happy, you know, you can refine, like if you're talking to chat GPT and you're like, give me a summary of, uh, you know, the civil war. And you're like, I don't get that part. What can you expand on that? Can you shrink that? Can you skip that? Uh, so it's endlessly patient. You, you described the bias problem as being technically solved. And I, I think, I think I agree with the idea that, um, there's a, there has to be a technical solution because the, re the the real source of bias is the data, right? So if you recognize that you're you're working with biased data, then theoretically you can lean on the scales a little bit or tell it to lean on the scales and correct for that bias. Um, but it doesn't seem to be what people are experiencing with, you know, like if I ask Stable Diffusion to draw me a picture of a family, not everybody's delighted with the sometimes stereotyped uh, results, right? Um, where where do you see do, do you see any problems like with bias now that you see are on their way of being worked out? I sure hope that they are. This is where companies should take responsibility. It's not let's not blame the technology. The technology is very good if you if you tell it to be unbiased it and yeah put the right weights in the right places it will be amazing if you don't pay attention to that aspect of of how your algorithms are working then yeah you will get uh less than a result that is is biased and because of the data that has been trained on mm -hmm. 
So yeah, stable diffusion is maybe just, that's very new still. I hope they will fix it. I've been impressed by OpenAI, to be honest, with how uh, different that launch was compared to uh, chatbots that we've seen that would be pulled days later because they start cursing. Offending people's feelings. <laughs> or or deciding to wipe out humanity. Yeah, uh, yeah that was exactly. an interesting result. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's been some interesting, you know, side personalities that have been discovered within ChatGPT, but overall, the opposite has happened. I think we, we see things that we didn't expect, uh, and it's not as offensive as we would have thought it would be. Because they thought about it, then they put quite a few things in place and continue working on that and taking that quite seriously. Not to say that they fix the universe, but I could see that they're trying and they're trying to do it in a startup way, which is iteration. Mm -hmm. So things that have been wrong with the algorithm early on that people have pointed, they uh, have addressed. There's a long, long list that isn't addressed yet that I know uh, scientists are gathering and uh, it's not exactly an open AI situation, even though it is the company is called open AI. Right. It's not uh, an algorithm that you can easily uh, look at and assess. But it did uh, catalyze new interest, renewed interest in alignment and safety and ethics. And that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I I don't feel like the attention is overblown. I think it's warranted and and makes a happy outcome more likely. So I, I'm all for it. Uh, one of the areas where AI uh, runs the risk, or we run the risk of AI producing bad outcomes, is on social media. There's plenty of motivated reasoning on social media as it is, and a lot of effort to convince people to sway one way or the other. And you can do that with bots. So you can do that with misinformation and it's easier to create that kind of thing at scale with AI machine, with AI tools. There's also censorship at scale using AI. Like it, I, I think it's inevitable that, that platforms, I mean, Twitter, they've almost thrown their hands up and say they can't do anything, but other platforms, including AI are probably using, or sorry, open AI are probably using AI to police what is produced. That's, uh, you know, is this necessary? Is it dangerous? What what it, the problem is? It, it it gets to the point where AI, on the one hand, we're we're seeking AI alignment, which is you do what we want, but then in turn, that tool is affecting what we do and aligning us. Where where how do you see that emerging? We live in interesting times. <laughs> Uh, misinformation is definitely a problem. Uh, so is censorship. Just generally, uh, scale is a problem. We just, as humans, don't have access to that kind of scale. When somebody makes a bad decision and denies me a loan, uh, that's one person. When it's algorithm doing that at scale, that's quite problematic. Uh, and so, say with misinformation, you convincing me of something fine, but if it's you times million and it's completely automated and convincing how many people at scale of something, that's a whole different situation. And I, and that is dangerous. And I do not have an answer because business models that we see aren't necessarily and have not been, uh, regulated or, or really looked at seriously for the harm that they have done to, like we said, the social and political discourse. Well, that brings me to another point you've made online, uh, speaking of regulation and what government can do, um, somewhat not necessarily related to AI, but de definitely related to regulation and sometimes the, the unintended consequences. You commented on uh, Canada's Bill C-18. Um, and so on just a couple of weeks ago, Google announced that uh, they would uh, 
because of Bill C-18, they found it unworkable and that they will remove links to Canadian news from their search, news and discover products in Canada. You, d you described uh, this as botched policy. What is the government's goal and what went wrong? I wish I knew what the government's goal was. It sounds like they're trying to protect the media. At least maybe that's the intent. I wish they thought more deeply about the interest of Canadians. I really want to read Canadian news. I use Google every day and I use Facebook too. And so for people to be prevented from reading their own news seems like not the right approach, maybe. Uh, and just... I I don't know. I, I wish somebody there would, would take seriously the criticisms that were very public around that bill coming from very smart people about how internet works and how media models work and what do we have here in Canada and how can we support the media that we do have without negatively impacting Canadians' uh, access to news, which to mm -hmm. me... It's quite important. So the ostensible goal, I thought, was to basically make it so that funds flowed to news outlets, right? That was the, 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 the goal. The mechanism was they were trying to get Google to pay for what they display. Um, which brings me to the larger question, which is, you know, as there's more layers, I mean, in a way, you could look at it as a layer of abstraction that we're abstracting away from what the news outlet produces. And you've been a journalist. So let's say you write an article for the local paper, and then that content winds up displayed somehow through Google or in the future through chat GPT. We wind up in a world where the ownership of intellectual property almost gets lost, abstracted away. And that's threatening to people who produce intellectual property. What do you see as a mechanism in the future to see to see to it that people do get rewarded for what they produce? I wish I had an answer. I really do. It's definitely something more companies should look into because it's it's part of the business model, really, even. Um, and who do we trust? And of all companies, TikTok has been really quite good at encouraging creators, giving them tools, giving them, making it easier for people to create. Right. Uh, when that ends up on my feed, I know the source of that and can track it to the source quite easily. So that's been a pretty good example, I'd say, of a company that is interested in content producers more than users clicking on ads uh, and so optimized for that, uh, I think, because I'm not obviously working there, but uh, it's it sure gi given people a voice and a way to express themselves and talk about issues um, that other channels just weren't giving. And so we will see that she's moving, really. I don't think any one company has an answer. Uh, Things being abstracted away, that has been the case with knowledge since who knows when. And when I want to know what happened, I just want to know what happened. I don't always care if it's CBC or New York Times or where the source of that information. And so on a consumer level, even at the end of the day, we will tend to serve people better. Whatever business model does that job better is is what ultimately wins the day and i look at business models in journalism right now and i'm really not inspired um, especially not in canada there's maybe a handful of companies and at people that are doing excellent 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 work and the rest are uh have quite a bit of catching up to do but uh, i don't know I don't think government intervention in this way is an answer. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. So you brought up an interesting theme because we went to TikTok where where I think you're saying that the one of the differences there is they have a more robust monetization scheme, right? Is that what you're getting at with, with TikTok? 
they're more focused on people and people as creators. Uh, whereas if I were compare them to Facebook, the, Facebook has done the opposite. They started with people as creators, but we as creators are, are not interesting. We're really quite boring en masse. You know, who wants to look at hundreds of, hundreds of, uh, of images of a cloud on Instagram or bad photo of someone's breakfast. We're just not that great as creators. And that's where they've latched on to the media and to professional creator class, um, photographers, uh, fashion, entertainment, um, whereas TikTok did the opposite. They thought, well, regular people, we believe in you. We think you're just lacking some tools. Let us do some thinking and give you tools that other channels don't to express yourself. Because maybe the blurry picture of your breakfast is not your fault. <laughs> maybe there are some things that we can do. Uh, maybe it's a soundtrack or we put the filter on it. Let, let us look at it and see how we can make that easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, I think, one of the reasons they took off in the way that they did. Because people really were looking for self-expression. Um, and so that platform has paid attention to that and let people monetize that to a degree that other channels didn't. So uh, AI has often been uh, described as one of the new general purpose technologies, you know, like like fire, the wheel, electricity. Um, and that means that it's this thing that's almost uh, in many ways a, a solution looking for problems. And so my question for you as a marketer is how can companies differentiate the various products that they produce with AI? What are the opportunities there? We're looking at a sea ocean of opportunities. It's not the best time necessarily yet to start building, mostly because there is a uh, Things are in flux at the platform level. They're in flux at the application layer. There, There's just a lot of movement uh, where it could be the case that you will build something and wake up and OpenAI has killed you and your idea <laughs> because they released something that just obliterated, you know, hundreds of startups uh, that did that thing. Uh, so these are uncertain times, but uh, there are interesting times for experiments and big bets, uh, especially for text-based industries uh, that have been sheltered in many ways from this kind of change. And uh, it, the, it's part of the software eating the world trend, which I really do believe in as a first principle uh, to frame the change that's happening and has been happening for quite some time. That's not going away. And if anything, more software will be AI. And we won't talk about it as much, just like we don't talk about electricity all that much. It, it you know, I just make my coffee. <laughs> That's what I do with it. Uh, and so it 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 will subside that the the hype and the fears and the conversations will change in direction of what can we do with it and how we can make coffee using this and uh, making it useful. And how can we then mitigate some of the risks? Because just like with electricity and fire, you have protocols for that. And it's been, for the most part, good. But we do have infrastructure. We have firefighters. We have, you know, safe electric outlets. There's a lot of things that we did where we learned from experience and then something blew up in our face and we made changes and that didn't happen again. Some of the things like that will be happening with AI as well, and we'll get more use from it uh, as humanity. It's it's fantastic, really, uh, abstracting away complexity even more, um, which is a job that seems to be never ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a complicated world, and uh, even uh, in my role at at uh, a university. You know, interfacing with students and all the different programs and opportunities they have and choices they need to make. Uh, a lot of universities are looking at chatbots as a potential solution to that. And the the current generation of chatbots are really like a, a, a IVR, like uh, is that the right right term? The the voice response, the, the automatic voice response system. 
um, where there's a programmed set of solutions. You know, if you ask this, then it's probably one of these three answers. You click and it takes you to a web page. But we're getting to the point now where chat GPT or something similar to it, a large language module, could actually produce the answers you need. Hmm. Which is fantastic and saves everyone time. And I've never used chatbots before. I found them really frustrating and dumb. I think I'm quite average in that kind of experience. So that's changed. I can have conversations about ChatGPT, uh, sorry, with ChatGPT about movies that I watch, about the books that I read. I can have a very intelligent conversation. Uh, if that happened with a human at a party, I would be really quite happy, you know? So I can discuss Star Trek. I can discuss movies that are black and white from that no one watches. I, I can, you know, have a conversation partner uh, and somebody who I can brainstorm with. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's that's great. And it is a good solution to the scale problem that we are facing. At, everything breaks at a certain scale. That's what happens, really. It happened with internet. It happened with identity. It happened with many layers on, uh, upon which we relied to do what we need to do. And when there is too many of us, the system breaks, and then we need to rebuild something new <laughs> and reinvent the wheel again there is just more of us you know before in the village i could tell you that i'm me and that'd be fine mm -hmm. now if i want to buy a house in miami a whole different situation not at all ideal or streamlined and so this is the kind of thing technology can really do for us it, it can bring it back in some way to uh the one-on-one -on -one. A level of of uh, relating to each other or relating to the world that is a little bit less uh, stressful and maybe more fair. I, I don't know. I still I have quite a bit of optimism around technology and AI and what AI can do when it's when it's built for that when it's built with the humanity in the loop. Thank you. Well, that is a very helpful point to add on. I have one last question. Um, what advice would you give as aspiring marketers and strategists who want to participate in the field of AI? I'm still an aspiring marketer and strategist, even though I have decades of experience. I think the best advice is to just stay curious and hungry and foolish and uh, unafraid to dive deep and look under the hood a little bit more to then abstract that complexity for people. It is our job as marketers to relate it to human needs and human lives and make technology make sense and make it be, make it useful uh, and really connect the dots between the tech and humanities. Marketing is right in the middle in tech um so staying curious on both sides of it it's you've got to have curiosity and love for the humanity and you need empathy and understanding for the machines because they're there to please for the most part we just all want to make world better and make it suck less and and make things future be better than the past and we aren't all, always good at it there, that comes in waves but I do hope that at the end we won't be batteries <laughs> yes I agree <laughs> it, it will be uh, making coffee for us and uh, we'll solve the alignment problem we will stop freaking out about existential problem we'll put researchers on it and take some of these things very seriously we will connect technology and humanity feels better than we have done so far because before we really just didn't need to. But now we have AI, which is smack in the middle between human brain and neuroscience and technology and, and uh, deep learning. And both of these fields will influence each other. It's, it's a really interesting, fascinating back and forth. And researchers like Yoshua Bengio are, are there. Uh, connecting the dots for people and advancing the field in that way. And so more and more we'll see 
the back and forth continue. And uh, that that is new. And I don't think we've seen technology that was as human-like as AI in quite some time. That, that part is super, super interesting to me. Um, how machines learn, what can we learn from that? How can we better be better humans <laughs> based on what we learn about human brain, then we take it to machines, then we realize and learn something about ourselves in the process. I've taken advice from AI on, from reinforcement learning, the exploit, explore paradigm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found that extremely useful in my own career. I'm like, oh, that's I what love that you know? I, I've been excited about that too, because it, it, I often, you know, they, they say, oh, kids are just like us. Uh, oh, AI is just like us. And it starts to make me think that there are some, it's not just that we're making AI in our image. It's that this is what intelligence looks like. That's like the natural, you know, I have the book on my shelf, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which is basically explore and exploit, right? You come up with a bunch of ideas. You're like, that's system one. I'm going to just do that all the time you know, hot stove, don't touch, you know, that kind of thing. But then when things are unusual, I have to think through them more. And so you have the the training of the model. So you apply the model or you train the model and it's explore and exploit. I, I even bias, you know, we're all biased to some extent, but if you accept it as just what your, pro, what, what your data set is and you adjust your data set, then it's not a moral failing. It's just something to work on. Yeah, yeah. And I do like the idea of step-by-step, step, which is a bit of a meme in AIML. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. Like that you are, the way you describe, you know, the entrepreneurship, it's you have to have the goal in mind, but there's a whole bunch of steps in between where you're basically removing the noise. You're, 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 you're creating... That's like diffusion. Yeah. Right? yeah. You have to have an, but if you don't tell the diffusion what you want, you won't get it. It'll just be noisy. Yeah. You have to know what you want to do, but you know you're going to go through a bunch of steps where it's not clear. And you know that that is your end goal is to to find the signal. Mm -hmm. Or just like with the large language model, do the retrieval properly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's so many interesting thoughts that I have every time I read the book on AI. Um, just makes me be more aware of of my own humanity and how I make decisions and how I can be better. The whole notion of gradient descent, I read about that and I'm like, okay. Tell me more about that. I'm not familiar with that concept. No, it's it's more about the 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 fine tuning and finding what smallest action can give you the largest reward faster. Yeah. Uh, Small concepts like that uh, I find really useful. The step-by-step -step one the, is fantastic too. The exploit explorer for sure. There's uh, interesting questions in AI safety that I, I like thinking about before I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and some books that I really like. Uh, fantastic book. Love it. Everybody should read that. Okay. That was so well researched and really well written. And Can you say the title out loud. I didn't catch that Inline audio. Machine Learning and Human Values by Brian Christian, uh, who also wrote Algorithms to Live By, which is the book I first read before I saw this. And so when I saw this, I'm like, oh, because Algorithms to Live By is really fun. Uh, it's fun and short and useful. And so this one is monumental work. What, what he has done with that, I'm just blown away by it. It's, I read three pages and then I think about it for three days. It's a slow, slow. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah. and and it's not it's even current anymore in some way, right? Because that's pre-ChatGPT. Right. You could have written a sequel to this really easily and maybe is working on it for all I know. It's got to be tough writing a book about AI these days and expecting it to be authoritative for very long. It is. As far as the alignment problem, maybe one of the best books I've read. Human Compatible is another one I really, really love. Uh, I love the concept there that you 
can't get a coffee if you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Machines will uh, go after the task you've given it, and but how they get there is a whole other story. Yeah, the whole paperclip optimizer question, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. And so they can't get coffee if you're dead. I remind it to myself when I get to a point of burnout. I'm like, gotta look right. Yes, pull it back, protect the mainframe here. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a question of the the overarching goal versus the uh, the smaller goals. Sometimes we can get fixated on the little goals. Sometimes you have to dispense the little ones in favor of the big ones. So to me, AI is is also a bit of self-discovery for us as that journey. Uh, and the, what else? The prediction machines, a great introduction to AI ML for people with not that much technical background. It's, again, very well written and researched. Uh, and there is a follow-up to that, that by the same authors um, that is also worth reading. Uh, and that is the book that gets cited at conferences without it being named. Right. Well, I have a vacation coming up next week. So now I have my reading list planned. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for an inspiring conversation. Thank you. I'm I'm always here if you have more questions uh, or ideas to, to discuss. It's I'm, been I'm delighted. I'll take you up on that. Okay. Yesterday was Elena Yunusov. Thank you, Elena, for being on the show. Thank you, Tim. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Humanity in the Loop podcast. The opinions expressed by the host and guests of this podcast are their own and do not reflect those of their employer or any other affiliation. Humanity is not automatic.